Well, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to get to be with you guys today. Um, pastor Jacob has actually had an opportunity to go speak at the retirement of one of our pastor friends down in Florida. So that is uh, where he is this weekend, and I'm, I'm glad to be able to, to step into the story of Daniel, which we've been going through here for the last few weeks, and we've got a few more weeks to go as well. Um, I've hear, I keep hearing a lot of feedback, like this story of Daniel is amazing, right? And, it, and um, it actually seems like it's speaking directly to a lot of lives. And so I just wanted to lift, lift that up. As I ask you this question, um, do you ever feel like life is just kind of like a series of repetitions? Sometimes, like sometimes you just kind of wake up and you're like, wasn't I... Haven't we, weren't we just here? <laughs> Didn't I just say this? <laughs> weren't we just in this place? And sometimes when we kind of get into that pattern of, of repetition in our lives, it can actually cause us to forget that we're going somewhere, right? Sometimes you're just like, I'm, well, I'm going to get up and do it again tomorrow. Um, but we are actually going somewhere. We, people of God, have a destination, <laughs> Now, if you've been listening to the story of Daniel, you might notice some patterns that are developing here with Daniel himself, with the friends, um, with all the characters. It seems like there's some patterns that are just kind of repeating. The kings that come up in the story kind of make the same mistakes. Different things happen over and over again. You're going to hear that again today. But I want to tell you, it's going somewhere. <laughs> We are actually going somewhere with Daniel. So we're, gonna, we're coming back to the, to the book of Daniel. We're actually in chapter 6 of Daniel. If you've got your Bible with you, you can, you can turn to chapter 6. And somebody is thinking right now, Pastor Jacob left off in, Pastor, in chapter 3 last week. What, are you just going to like throw out 4 and 5? And no, I'm not going to throw them out. But we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to give you like a synopsis real quick of chapter 4 and 5. And then we're going to get to chapter 6, which is like the famous story of Daniel. When people hear Daniel, they hear Daniel in the lion's den, right? Okay, so that's where we're going today. But let me catch you up real quick. So Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken as captives from their home in Judah. And they were taken to a place called Babylon. And once they were there, they were designated as exceptional specimen of the human race. They were seen to be very attractive and strong and wise people. And so they, they rose up in the ranks. Now, Daniel stood out because of his gift of interpreting dreams and visions. And he had this way of understanding mysterious things. So people brought mysterious things to Daniel now, King Nebuchadnezzar valued him so much, like valued this gift that Daniel had, that he paid respect to Daniel's God because of Daniel. Have you ever done something in your life that caused somebody else to worship your, your God, to give credit to your God? Amazing. So last week, the three friends refused to bow down to the king's new giant statue that he had erected out of gold and everybody was supposed to bow down to the statue. They didn't want to because they only worshiped the one true God. So yes, the king threw Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego into a fiery furnace that had been cranked up so high that it should have instantly killed them. In fact, others that were around it were instantly killed when they were even close to the fire. But the king looked into the fiery furnace and he saw that the three were still walking around. But what's more, he saw a fourth man in the fire that appeared to be like God. And so he called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fiery furnace. And he said something like, this is a paraphrase, hey, 
your God is something else. What other God could do what your God has done? He, he is a different kind of God. King Nebuchadnezzar was not a believer in this one true God, but he's seen what this one true God can do. Now, before we get like any more attached to King Nebuchadnezzar, um, I just want to... I have some bad news for you about what happens to him in chapters 4 and 5. Um, the story kind of continues on with him, but there's this, this, uh, this thing about, um, we'll, we'll call him Nebi, right? Because we like him. We've got a soft spot in our heart for Nebi because he is this guy that even though, yes, he tried to kill our friends, he didn't really want to do it, right? There's something about him. Like he was always hoping that things would actually turn out for the better, even though he was trying to kill them. So we kind of have this little bit of a soft spot in our heart. And so I am so sad to break the news to you that he is dead, which you probably knew. But um, it, I know it feels like sudden that I'm just kind of like dropping this on you all of a sudden because he's been a main character in the story. Well, it happens somewhere in between chapter four and chapter five. He just kind of like, we don't really actually know, but he's not there anymore. And new kings take his place because that's what happens, right? So eventually, Belshazzar, it says, is the son of Nebuchadnezzar. He took over the kingdom. And as with his father, Daniel was brought in to interpret a warning of impending doom. Go read the story. It's really amazing. It's, got, it's like this hand without a body writing on, on a wall. Um, and so Daniel's brought in to give an interpretation of what is going on. He does that. And this King Belshazzar does what all the other kings seem to want to do. He raises up Daniel into a high level. But that very day, Belshazzar is dead. Ah. Shocking, I know, it's a lot. But Daniel, as you can tell in the story, is kind of like, he's like a golden child. Well, he's in his 80s, so he's golden. He's still golden. He's golden. He's golden oldie. <laughs> so guess what happens next? Another king, Darius, takes over the kingdom. He actually brings in this whole new regime, yet he still sees Daniel the way the previous kings had done, and he wants to put him in special positions of power over the kingdom. All right, we're going to get to the actual scripture here. This is verse 3 from chapter 6. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps, like the people who were over the regions, by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Like Daniel doesn't even belong to this kingdom and he's about to be over the whole kingdom. Let me ask you this. What does a, a position of seemingly unmerited power create for those who feel like they are the ones who deserve to be in power? Jealousy? Envy? That's what's happening here in the story next. In verse four, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. All things we've already learned about Daniel. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man unless it has something to do with the law of his God. They connect Daniel with his God. 
the king, they said, should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to my, to any God or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Daniel and the lion's den. Here we are. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Let's just pause for a moment to consider who is it, do you think, that is actually steering this ship right now? Is it the king? It's almost never the king. It's the people around the king, right, who are jealous and filled with envy. It's the people that are around the ruler. They're actually driving this whole narrative. And you'll see it like everybody, all the kings are kind of dragging their feet, but they have to do what they have to do because they're the king, right? Verse 10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. So there are three things that this specific story lifts up for us who live in this world today 2023, you know, this is the, as we said, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. What does the word of God say to us today? Well, there's one thing that Daniel, uh, there's a few things. The first one is that Daniel prioritized faithfulness over freedom. He was about to walk into another situation where he, he was going to be imprisoned and he had a choice to make. But he was not ashamed of his faith. He kept practicing prayer the way he always had. It says, just as he had done before, right? Notice how Daniel did what he had always done, even though this was a time of crisis. Now, for me, sometimes I'm in a time of crisis. I'm thinking, I think I need to do something different. I need to shift gears. He's doing what he's always done before. He was being faithful. If this line wasn't in the scripture, just as he had done before, we would totally understand Daniel's practice of, of praying, right? <laughs> we would completely understand that because when you're under pressure, you elevate your prayer life. That's pretty typical, right? Anybody else? When you're under pressure, your prayer life seems to go up. As a pastor, let me tell you, it is a very rare occurrence when I walk up to somebody who is in a pit or in a really difficult situation and I say, can I, can I pray for you? It's a very rare occasion when they would say no, even if they're not believers, even if they have no sense of who I would be praying to, they receive that prayer. One song says, everyone prays in the end. <laughs> like, you know, we're all people of prayer at some point. It's normal to elevate your, your uh, level of prayer in times of crisis. But that's not what Daniel was doing here, right? That's not what it says. It says he was just being faithful. This is what Daniel does. Yes, he was facing the potential of time in a pit with lions, but he was going to keep on praying the way he had always done before. In verse 11, then these men, you know, these men, right? They went as a group and they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Wouldn't it be amazing if your prayer life was just so rich and consistent that the people around you knew where they would find you and what they would find you doing? <laughs> you know, like what time is it? Oh, he's surely praying because that's what he does. He, he prays. 
These guys, they went because they knew. And they went at the particular hour because they knew it's what Daniel did. It's who he was. He was faithful even when his freedom was on the line. There's a modern day Daniel in Eastern Europe who right now at this very moment is in prison. He's a man who, uh, who felt like God had called him to a, a ministry with orphans. And so he's been doing that in, in this particular country um, for time, over time and, and um, meeting the needs of, of so many orphans in the area where God has planted him. It's what he felt like God had called him to do. But it got the attention of local authorities who put him in prison. They were threatened by him. And they put him in prison where he currently sits today on a hunger strike. Because right now it's his only way to draw attention to the plight of the orphans. It's his only way to draw attention to God. So I know this is kind of strange, but I just want to pause in the middle of a message to pray for this man. His name is, is Mark. It's not me, but his, his name is, is Mark. And I want to invite you to just, let's, let's take a moment and pray. Oh God, we lift up Mark, this modern day Daniel in Eastern Europe right now. We don't know everything about him, even his whole story, but we know that you have called him um, to, the, to the place where he is right now. And God, we pray that you would enter in and that you would come and shut the mouths of the lions that, are, that are, are speaking and roaring around him right now. We pray, God, that you would hear his faithful prayers. And God, we pray for his freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse, verse 15. Then the men went as a group to King Darius I know it's a lot of scripture, I'm sorry, but it's a, it's a story, okay, so we'll stay with it. <laughs> then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. Were they sensing that he wanted to change the edict? Maybe. <laughs> They're reminding him, you can't go back on this. You can't go back on this edict that you just declared. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Now, I don't know the king's heart in this situation when he's saying these words, but it reads pretty genuine. It sounds pretty authentic to me. It's in the form of a blessing. May your God rescue you. I'm about to throw you in a pit of lions, but... It sounds like he really means it. Like every part of his body wants Daniel to be okay. May your God rescue you. But you know, sometimes when everything is already in motion, like a tragedy, you can see it. It's just like so hard to avert. You can't change course. He's already gone down this path. So it's got to keep on moving. So here it is. I'm going to share these next verses with you. You can read along or just receive this story. But here's how it happened. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring. This is him. He's doing it. And with the rings of the nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. You ever notice or ever have a season where you're just not sleeping so well? I've kind of been in one of those. It seems like for some reason, God uses those moments to like wake us up to something new. 
And so he's, he's restless. There's something that's not quite right, not sitting right with him. So at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? It sounds like he's hopeful, right? Like he's actually genuinely curious. Hey, has your God, like he, he's expecting to hear a voice back when he asked the question. And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed. What a strange situation. And he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Do you hear the story repeating itself? Does that sound familiar to you? Someone being lifted out of a really difficult situation, unharmed because they trusted in God. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth. He's talking to everybody, the world. May you prosper greatly, world. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. And then he gives this beautiful like statement of faith, which is more, more beautiful than a lot of statement of faith from people who actually believe in this God. He says, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel, as Daniel does, prospered during the reign of Darius and then also the reign of Cyrus the Persian. It keeps repeating over and over again, king after king, he rises to the top, which makes us want to ask the question, what is God doing with this guy? Why does he continue to rise to the top? King after king, nation after nation, Daniel repeats the story, I think in part because he chose character over contentment. Contentment is something that we actually normally would think that we want to pursue, you know, it's it actually even sounds strange to say that, that we shouldn't, but most of our lives, right, is, is chasing after contentment. And then when we get to that place of contentment, what do we feel? Not content. We're going to the next thing, right? We're, it's something that we're just chasing after over and over again. Daniel's story is one of making the most of uncomfortable situations. But he does so with integrity. He stayed true to who he was. And as a result, he found favor with king after king after king, who were technically his captors. Like we could forget that part of the story. They were technically his captors. So if you're counting with me and uh, still with me, that's four kings now. Four kings that uh, Daniel served and prospered under. But I think it's important to remember, just like take a moment, where is Daniel? Like physically, where is Daniel in this story? He's in Babylon right now. Is Babylon Daniel's home? No. His home is Judah, right? Where he was taken from. He's, his heart is still going back to his home. But it's been 70 years that he has been in captivity. He was an Israelite 
and his home was the promised land, right? The land that was given to God's people after they were brought out of another time of captivity in Egypt. He was in exile. Guess what? We are also in exile. I know it sounds extreme, but there's something about this world. And if you think about it and, and, and consider it, you'd say that, well, maybe that's true. This, this world is, is not exactly as we were, were meant for it to be. Does it sound dramatic for me to say that? I, I get that it does. And it may have looked like Daniel was truly comfortable under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius. But he remembered all along that he was not at home. You see, Daniel chose his eternal home over home in exile. We have the same choice. After 70 years of exile, you could imagine how someone might forget what their true home is, right? You might, you might imagine like, where is my true home? I spent the first half of my life in the state of Kansas, and I've spent more than, uh, more than that time now in Tennessee. And so we say, this is home. But we also have a picture of Kansas back, <laughs> back in our living room as well. It's like, where, where is our home? We can kind of get stuck in the middle of that. The scripture indicates for Daniel, when he goes to his room to pray, he opens the window and it's aiming in which direction? In the direction of Jerusalem. What was, what was out that window for him? What was he looking? He couldn't see, like physically see Jerusalem. He was in Babylon. He couldn't, he couldn't see it. He was just like looking off in that direction. And as he was looking off in that direction, the reality of the calling of his life, um, it was that it was about something more than what was right in front of him. He, he paid attention to what was in front of him, but he also looked beyond what was in front of him. His highest calling was not to get out of a lion's den. His highest calling was not to lead Babylon. He was ultimately made for the promised land. And that's why he would stop on a regular basis and pray in the direction of his eternal home. Sometimes when I think about you guys, church, I get overwhelmed because I know just like bits, I don't even know I had the half of it, but I know stories of what you guys do in our community and how you serve and how you represent Jesus and the church in our, in our community and beyond. And it can be overwhelming to consider. But even with all of those amazing things that you do and that, that this church does, our highest calling is to the promised land, to live forever in the worship of God. And I know that, that kind of like that's also disjointing for us because you might, might think of this worship thing as something that it doesn't really matter. I tack it on to the end of my week maybe or the beginning of the next week and, and I might come, I might not or, you know, it'll go on without me. I'm just one voice. Like I don't, I can't sing like Hunter over here. <laughs> How essential am I? But what we do in worship together is a foretaste of our highest calling. We're looking towards Jerusalem together. We're look, looking towards our eternal home. You know, for sure, that kingdoms of this world, they come and go. Even this kingdom that we're sitting in right now, they come and they go. And if Jesus chooses to wait another couple thousand years before his return, although I say, come, Lord Jesus, come. But if he chooses to wait a couple thousand more years to, to return, I imagine that one day people will be uncovering all of this information about our kingdom and some of it will be embarrassing and, and some of it will point to some great things. And I expect that if that timeline bears out, there will be a chapter on the people who follow Jesus as a part of this place called Providence Church. <laughs> this world is not our home. 
and yet we live here. We're called to live here. Hebrews 13 says it like this, for this world is not our home. We are looking forward to our everlasting home in heaven. I was talking to a mentor the other day and just kind of um, getting, actually a new mentor, kind of get, getting to know him a little bit. And one, a phrase came out of my mouth that I, I don't know where it came from, but I said, I've never really been comfortable being comfortable. I've never really been content with contentment. And I think that's probably just, I was just stating the human condition, right? I'm not all that comfortable being comfortable. I think I want to be comfortable, but when I get there, I'm not, not comfortable. Because I think deep down, I know that I'm not in my destination yet. For most of us, the land of exile, it's kind of weird that I called it that I understand because it looks pretty darn good. One could see how it'd be confused with our true home. We look free. We look content, just like Daniel appeared. But in the face of the hostility that sometimes surrounds us here, we can choose faithfulness, character, and our eternal home. You know, like as amazing as this world is, it's not the garden that was designed for us in Genesis. It's not exactly what God had planned for us. We are not made for a place with death and disease and suffering and violence where countries go to war after each other and drop bombs on each other's children. We're not made for a place where young people don't know who they are and are, are just reaching for, for something that, that gives them life and, and meaning. We're not, we're not made for a place like this. We're not cut out for this kind of a world. And if you just like sit with that for a bit and just feel like uncomfortable, it's because your heart and your soul are longing for your true home. But it doesn't mean that we don't truly live fully where we are now because we're called to be the body of Christ now and we will be. And it's when I think about the, the church and um, all the amazing things that, that you guys do and the ways that you serve, is we are adamant about living as the body of Christ in, while we're in exile the way that Daniel did because our home came to earth and walked around with us. Our exile really began in Genesis. Adam and Eve sinned and they sought to know what God knows. They wanted to be like God, right? And so they, they hid themselves and all God wanted to do was go on a walk with them in the garden. All God wanted to do was to be with them and they were hiding behind fig leaves. God sought us out the way he sought out Adam and Eve and we were hiding in fig leaves, ashamed. And he said to Adam and Eve, let's walk together. And even though their sin led to exile, God still walks towards us today. He walked towards them and went and sought them out and he seeks us out as well. Our home came to earth and he dwells with us. Jesus is the ultimate sign of God walking towards us. And he knows what it's like to be lowered into a pit. And he knows what it's like to come out unscathed and whole in a way that points to life. You know, a moment ago, I shared with you the verse from Hebrews chapter 13, for this world is not our home. We are looking forward to our everlasting home in heaven. Here's verse 15. With Jesus' help, we will continually offer our sacrifice of praise to God by telling others of the glory of his name. 
That's what we do, church. We continue to point towards our eternal home as we worship together. In just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to come and receive communion. And that for us is a sign, it's an act of, of pointing towards the fact that there's something beyond our land of exile, but we're empowered to, to be the presence of Christ in it right now. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the gift of, of Jesus walking towards us, that we can experience our eternal home in the here and now. And we pray for glimpses of your kingdom to come and bubble up. We pray this bread and juice would be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we could be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. In Jesus' name, amen.